Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. On Sunday, Atlanta United is going to host Chicago at 4.30 p.m. at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The game is going to be broadcast on FS1 and for free on the MLS channel on Apple TV. Tony Kierke, who is the play-by-play guy, is going to join me on this podcast a little bit later. Before then, you're going to hear from Derek Etienne, from Andrew Gutman, from manager Gonzalo Pineda, among others. It's going to be a fun podcast. I'm going to answer your questions about the MLS team. We have a couple of voicemails. And uh, please pray for Daniel because he has learned to crochet. He's made a pelican. I don't know why. Maybe he's hoping it's going to fly him out of the Interpol prison. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. And now we're going to hear from Santiago Sosa on what he learned about the team's defense against Toronto. This was Sosa's second start this year. I think his first as a single pivot uh, in place of Franco Albara, who was serving a red card suspension from a tackle against uh, against James Sands in the NYCFC game two weeks ago. Uh, for us, it was very it was very tough to to draw in the way that we did because both the goals were scored at the end of each half. But it's, it's soccer, so we know those things can happen. Uh, we just have to be more attentive moving forward. And, of course, in that game against Toronto, Atlanta United gave up a goal near the end of the first half and then the game tying goal for the 2-2 draw on the game's final kick. So I asked Santi what he thought they needed to do to be more attentive for the entire 90 minutes. Totally, uh, because the game doesn't end until the referee blows the whistle. So we have to be more concentrated uh, and more attentive uh, the whole time. Abara is back and is healthy. He's trained this week. He didn't train last week because of a, um, what Pineda described as a minor ankle injury that he suffered on that play that led to the red card. So here's Sosa talking about his battle with Abara for the starting spot. Of course, uh, Franco and I both want to start. Uh, I think everyone on the team wants to play. So it's about each guy just working their hardest in training uh, every day and, and you know showing their what they can do. And then ultimately, as we all know, it's a decision that comes down to the coach. So um, what I want to do is make it as, as hard a decision as possible. Uh, and so, yeah, each, each guy is going to fight and, and the coach will make the decision. Now, the team has individual performance plans for a lot of players. I had to ask Santi this twice to try to get an idea of what he's working on, but here's his answer. 
En cuanto a, a mi juego, sí, obviamente tengo cosas para mejorar, quizás a veces. Yeah, there's there's always things I'm working on. I think in this past game, um, maybe falling falling back deeper a little bit uh, defensively, um, and at different times, just the our positioning, our my positioning in, in our uh, like our half of the field. Mm -hmm. um, But yeah, those are things we'll, we'll work on. I was also curious to ask Andrew Gutman, how can the team avoid allowing those goals in the final minutes of halves? Yeah, I think it's just staying locked in, um, understanding the moments of the game a little bit more. Um, it's almost like a good problem to have. You know, you're winning a lot of games. You're mm -hmm. putting yourselves in great, great situations. Now it's be from becoming a good team to becoming an elite team. And, you know, for us, it's just <clears throat> those final moments, staying more locked in, maybe, maybe, you know, giving up a little bit of space in the middle third to really solidify the, the middle to low block and, you know, just defend for our lives. Now on that second goal that Toronto scored and Pineda confirmed this for me, I had theorized on the previous podcast that Toronto had the ball in a spot where Atlanta United has been trained to press. It was up against the sideline near midfield, He confirmed, yes, that's a spot that the players are supposed to press. But in this instance, we probably should have had a little bit more idea of game management, not pressed and stretched ourselves and created some gaps that Toronto was able to take advantage of. So I wanted to hear from Gutman if teammates see player, their teammates maybe getting out of position, pressing in a, in a situation which they shouldn't, whose responsibility is it to let them know? I think it's everyone understanding the moment and, you know, Yes, it's the player understanding where they need to be, but it's also their teammate helping them. Um, you know, so when we give up a goal, it's not like, oh, one person mm -hmm. was out of position. No, it's the whole team. You know, to, we gave up a goal as a team, and, you know, we got to defend and attack as a team. So I think just a little bit communication with each other, the person to your left and the person to your right, I think uh, would help us a lot. And then, of course, Machop Chol scored his first career MLS goal, but the play started with a very long switch from Andrew Gutman to Luis Arujo, and I was curious how that developed. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just kind of something that happened. I know when the ball came out to me, I, I knew Luis was out there. And, you know, sometimes everyone kind of knows where you're going to play based on your body shape. So I just thought in that moment, like just a quick switch, maybe it caused them to turn a little bit. Um, you know, so I don't know if my switch of play helped with the, the goal or not, but we were able to find Luis and chop scored. Derek Etienne, who signed as a free agent in the offseason, Uh, with, a, with a lot of hype and hope for Atlanta United because of his speed and ability off the ball, has started the past couple of games. I was curious how he thinks he's doing. Doing okay. Uh, I'd like to get more chances, I'd like to finish more chances. Um, I think that just comes with more minutes and not being able to have uh, a preseason and then you know getting used to the guys. But uh, I'm confident that I'll come, have great players around me that help me every single day. So it's only a matter of time. And here's Etienne talking about his chemistry with Arahujo. I think that's a result of training. Um, you know, I know that he gets a guy 1v1 with space, he's going he's gonna to beat him. So I just try to make um, a good enough run off him that uh, he can look down the field and, and play in behind. But that's more so just, you know, me trying to be a threat in behind and just always be dangerous to, to help out the team. Now, Yurgos Yakumakis suffered a small hamstring injury in the opening minutes of the second half against Toronto. He has rejoined the team's training. He works his tail off. Uh, you're going to hear Tony and I talk about that in a little bit. But here's Etienne talking about Gigi's work rate. He works extremely hard. Um, it's always good to have a, a number nine who uh, runs selflessly. So um, there's times when, you know, Luis makes a run behind or I make a run behind that we're not able to get back and he'll, he'll track back. So it's always good to have that and then his presence offensively always darting into the the near post always always a body so um the work rate that he brings and with his quality makes him a very good number nine to play with and it's uh, it's very exciting to be a part of it
And here's Etienne on what Chicago does well. I'm going to be honest, because of the way the games have been, everyone playing at 7.30, it's real difficult to to watch other other games. But, um, you know, you know the, the guys they have, Chris Mueller, a uh, very direct player. Um, Shakiri, of course, a great goal scorer, and Kai Kamara. Um, they, have, they have players that, you know, if you allow them space and time, that they'll be able to create chances and stuff like that. So we have to be careful of that. Um, and then, you know, trying to break any transition that they have, but also be be willing to, to break out in transition because I think we have a, a, a good team that we can do that, but then we also have a good enough team that we can keep the ball. So um, at home, the most important thing is the three points, putting them under pressure and making them feel uncomfortable playing at the bench. Here's Pineda providing an update on Yurgos' status. He's good. He's uh, obviously, as you know, he felt something in his hamstring uh, in the last game in Toronto after more evaluation it doesn't appear to be that serious so he's been training at times with the team at times outside one-on-one and uh, he's feeling positively so we'll treat him you know day by day I would say until the game and then we'll see what's the what's the status how he feels uh, and what are the reports from the medical department so it's day by day I would say as well as Caleb Wiley's status He's back in the team. He did a, a, a light regen. He, he landed yesterday in the afternoon. Um, happy for him for making a two-minute debut against Mexico. Uh, I would love to see him a little more, right? Uh, I was waiting till late watching him, but uh, eventually it's a good, good uh, um, boost for his career. Being with the national team uh, at 18 is fantastic, so great achievement. Now he's back with us, and and we will we will uh, reintegrate him in the system again. Today he did a bit more region, and tomorrow he will rejoin the sessions. As well as the overall health of the team, there's only one player that could not participate in training on Friday, and that's Brad Guzan, who suffered a torn MCL a few games ago. And I really can't remember the team ever being this having this many people in training, all of whom are healthy or close to healthy. That includes Ozzy Alonso, who's still not going to be game ready probably for a few weeks, but he is participating in training. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, Ozzy is back, for example. Ozzy is back in training, but uh, probably still not 100% available for selection, right? He's he's training with us, but as you may know, it's a long injury, so Mm -hmm. he will have to have a couple more weeks uh, reintegrating, so we won't be, you know... Uh, rush on on bringing back on the field in, in a game day um, and yeah after that I would say the others are more day to day you will see the the, the, the report tomorrow uh, but uh, yeah I think I think pretty much we're healthy but always looking for you know continuing this in this shape because it's, it's not easy of course Chicago is managed by Ezra Hendrickson who worked with Pineda in Seattle here's Pineda talking about Chicago Tons of respect for Ezra, as you may know, uh, I had him closely in Seattle. I, I watched his work with the second team and as an assistant for Sigi, a successful coach, uh, and and he knows how to prepare his team for a battle. That's that's how I I, I think uh, I will describe Ezra as a very smart coach that knows how to get the me- the best out of his players. He put a very good group, a solid group together, uh, and they have gotten some good results. Uh, winning in Miami away, uh, a couple results that I felt that he could have gotten at home that 
he had some advantages and, and they couldn't handle, but but eventually you can see the progression from last year to this year. So he's a tough opponent. They know how to play in that 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2 defensively. Uh, a couple players also probably questionable and coming from injuries. So we'll see what they present, but I would say that whatever they present on Sunday, uh, it will be a competitive uh, team. And here's Pineda kind of explaining why Franco Abar's red card and injury were a bit unfortunate. You no, know, it was more the the, the injury. Okay. Uh, it was more he had a little bit of a of a knock in the ankle um, in that play uh, and the red card. Uh, it was it was very unfortunate for both players because when you look closely at that play, it actually both go for the ball. But uh, um, not on purpose, uh, the, the player for New York City touches the ball uh, with the left uh, foot and then it moves the ball for both of them. So actually, if, if Ibarra doesn't go for the 50-50 ball, probably was a red card on, on New York City's yeah. player because he would have kicked uh, Ibarra pretty bad. So I, I felt it was very unfortunate play for both of them. Both got injured yeah. out of that. Um, so that's why um, Ibarra wasn't training uh, last week. Um, and this week he's reintegrating. He's probably similar day to day, how he feels, how he tolerates the pain. Um, but uh, I assume he's going to be a bilateral for the, for the match. And here's my interview with Tony Kierke, really good guy. Uh, you won't believe his very first sports interview. So please listen, and you're going to get a kick out of his answer, I promise you. Atlanta United has 15 points from eight games, and Chicago has 10 from seven. Which team do you think can maintain that pace for the next few weeks of the season? Well, when I see both teams, uh, for me, Atlanta looks like a team that has a higher ceiling. But it also depends on how healthy is going to be that uh, starting lineup. Because when they have missed a couple of key players, you can notice the difference on the field. So that that's a big if. But if you make me choose between the, the two, I think that Atlanta has definitely a higher ceiling. And, and I'm, I'm thinking this is a... More than a playoff team, I think this uh, this team can be a contender. Oh, wow. Okay. When, when you look at Chicago, they don't really have a, a proven goal scorer. Shabelko, you know, had a couple of good seasons with New England, but really hasn't replicated it since. How are they experiencing their success? What is it they're doing well? I, I think they're a solid team, but uh, I can't disagree a little bit with you on, on the goal scoring uh, thing because I, I think that – if uh, Kai Kamara is a guy that can keep up the space, you know, um, he's been a great addition to the team uh, in a, a strange circumstance because he was not supposed to be playing for Chicago, but his disagreements with um, with Montreal like were, were a, a very good opportunity for Chicago to uh, pick a player like that. So I think with him and if Suvilko can rise up his level a little bit, I think they can be very difficult team. In fact, they, they only have one loss, and it was a one nil against. Uh, I think it was against Philly, and a, a late, a late goal. So, um, I think they're they're doing a lot of things well. They don't have, I mean, they don't depend on one start, and it has been proven because uh, since Shakiri was a, a out a couple of games, they were able to uh, either get a tie or, or or get a late uh, a late win, as they did against Miami, for instance. So. I think they're a, a very solid team. I shouldn't have said a not a proven goal scorer because Kamara is one of the best goal scorers in MLS history, but he also has a history of kind of wearing out his welcome 
at, at teams and off he goes somewhere else. So sure. you wonder how long if Chicago starts to struggle before he starts to get frustrated and, and things start breaking down a little bit. When you watch Chicago play and you watch Atlanta United play, knowing that Ezra Hendrickson and Pineda both uh, were assistants with Schmetzer, do you see similarities in the patterns of play and the ideas? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but I so far, and, and it all depends always in the the players you have, the roster you have for you to work on. And and I think in, in the case of Gonzalo, he has a, a very good roster in terms of attacking players. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the midfield up, I think this team is, is pretty is pretty well equipped, it's pretty armed. When you see the start of the season of Giacomakis, who I think Gonzalo guided through the first games very slowly, like just a couple of minutes there, and then he finally got to start. But then when you see his movement around the box and you see how he has already developed that chemistry with uh, the other offensive players, with Araujo, with uh, Caleb Wiley when he's playing as a winger, I think this team is more able to play an offensive style like Gonzalo uh, likes than any any other style. So I, have, I think that you, could, you couldn't replicate strategics or uh, maybe systems uh, in, within those teams because they have very different rosters. Yakamakis works his tail off. Uh, watching him at, at Toronto last week, I was there at BMO Field. It is amazing how much off-the-ball work that guy puts in. And it, it's a little bit of a contrast to what we were seeing from the strikers that Atlanta United had last season. Not that they didn't work, but Yakamakis is just – it's a whole different level. Uh, and it makes the whole defense work. It, it's fun to watch. I'm curious to see if he's going to play on Sunday. He was doing a little bit of light work yesterday by himself after that hamstring injury uh, that he suffered against Toronto. So he's – you know, if if Almada is the most important player on the team, I think everyone would agree with that. I think Yakamakis has quickly established himself as the second most important player on Atlanta. Yeah, I I, I I agree with that. And I'll, I'll put right behind him, I, I'll put uh, Miles Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. I think the 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 worst uh, the worst game so far for Atlanta was that uh, that terrible loss against Columbus, and for me it wasn't a a coincidence that also besides Almada that Miles Robinson was was missing from that defense. So um, yeah, those three players for me they are the the spine of that team. Besides what those other players can can add up to the mix. I mean. Araujo, I think, is having a, a good start of the season. Um, I'm kind of wondering what, what will happen with Caleb Wiley because I know that he naturally is a, a fullback, but he plays so well as a winger that, I don't know, uh, Gonzalo might try to do that uh, going forward a couple of times. The team was is, I should say, use past tense, still really high on Etienne Jr. Uh, they like his off-the-ball runs. He hasn't had the production yet that I think everyone expected that he would, but he's also just now gotten back into the starting lineup after having that injury in the last game at Columbus. It took him a long time to recover from, but I agree with you. Wiley, it's also going to be an interesting summer for Atlanta United when the transfer market opens up because Almada, there's already a report that Napoli is interested in Almada. Wiley, of course, was someone, some team made a bid for him last summer that Atlanta United rejected. Miles Robinson is going to be out of contract at the end of the year. Some team could try to get him to sign a pre-contract 
during the transfer window for next year. It, it could be very unsettling for Atlanta United, depending upon how things go. But we'll see what happens. I'm always fascinated by uh, the guests that I have on this podcast, other interests. I was looking you up on LinkedIn last night and saw some of the people that you've interviewed in your career. And I'm curious which person maybe gave you the most trepidation or, or just like, like, I can't believe I'm talking to this guy at this point. Uh, I mean, because of the circumstance, because it was a very long time ago and I was just beginning in this business, uh, it had to be Pele. I mean, oh yeah, and that was a very, uh, I don't know, I don't want to uh, uh, bore you with this story, but I'll, I'll make it short. I wasn't supposed to be there that day uh, and I wasn't working around sports at that time. I mean, I was really beginning, I was still in college and uh, I had a boss uh, in the uh, hardness section where I was working uh, with or I was working for. And, and she told me, you know what, I was just getting off a, um, a schedule of, of covering some elections in Venezuela. And she told me, you know what, I, I know you're tired, I know you want to go home, but these people in sports are uh, bothering me, asking for someone to go interview a guy, uh, some Pelé guy. And, and uh, this, well, this boss of mine, she always, when she, when she took the newspaper, it was like the uh, sports section, it was straight to the garbage. So. I wasn't surprised uh, that she put it that way. And um, and I was like, yeah, come on. And that was my first sports interview ever. So, yeah, a little bit of trepidation. But he was so nice, as we all, we all know, he was when, when, do, when doing uh, relationships, when doing a uh, PR, uh, that, that uh, calmed me down and that made it a, a great experience. So if your first interview is Pele, it's all downhill. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, you just retire. They have done. Yeah, we're gonna do before <laughs> that. After this, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And who, who is on your list that you want to interview? Uh, one person in the world. If you could sit down for fifteen minutes, who would it be? I think, I think it it would be Michael Jordan. I mean, huh. uh, not only because because he's stature as a one of the greatest athletes of all time. But because he hasn't been that public, you know, uh, maybe maybe with the Last Dance documentary that uh, they run in, uh, I think it was uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. I mean, before that, it was not that he was very public, you know, he, that he gave many interviews, taking into account the the history that he made around sports and the basketball in specific. So, so yeah, that I mean, and and that looks like a challenging interview, you know, so that that would be the one. That would be an awesome interview. And you're right. He's even during his playing career, he was pretty guarded and uh, yeah. didn't give out a lot of information. And you have to work hard to to be that way, especially with a limelight as bright on him as it was. Yeah. Um, and, and also being a guy that's mixed in like every business this, there is there. So yeah, yeah, for real. You, you, it, it is tough to maintain a low profile having the, all those businesses going on, you know? And last question for me, Joseph Martinez, what what do you think is going on with Joseph in Miami? What, what's leading to the the scoring drought? Uh, what, when, I see, when I see the team in Miami, I think they have a lot to work on. And um, offensively, I, I don't see the attacking midfielders clicking with the with the strikers uh joseph was supposed to be paired with uh, leo campana this sort of a season and they just 
get one game under their belt because of Leo Campana's uh, injury. And, and also because I think Neville with Joseph, he, he took the time to get him into, into, into playing uh, rhythm, you know, but he's, he's definitely not a, at the same level that we saw even last part of the Atlanta last season, uh, when he did score goals, even though he wasn't always a starting in the starting lineup. So it's a mix of things for me. He's not there yet, but definitely Miami is not providing those, uh, those balls, those, those passes, those assists that uh, that Joseph fed off in, in Atlanta with different partners. I'm curious to see once Campana, once they get back on the field together again, because as you know, Joseph typically played as a single striker yeah. for Atlanta United. He, he, and he was at one point adamant he did not want a second strike partner with him because he likes all that space he can move around in. So I'm curious to see how this is going to work uh, once they get on the field consistently together. Yeah. It's, it's clear Joseph – while still very skilled, just he can't move like he once did. He's not as as quick as he once was a few yeah. years ago. So it might be good to have a second striker, but we'll have to see. Yeah, the thing is that um, I'm I'm as curious as you because I think uh, they, they're both kind of a uh, same profile of, of player, mm -hmm. same style of player. So I don't know how how's that going to work between the two when you. And it all depends on and how it's going to be the the system for Neville because I'm guessing since they made the that exchange and brought Kamal Miller on, mm -hmm. I'm guessing that they will play three center backs mm -hmm. and two uh, two win backs, and and that's that maybe is going to open the door for them to play with two strikers up, you know. Mm -hmm. So we'll see, we'll see uh, how. I think we need to give them at least two or three games together mm -hmm. to see what what that partnership can uh, bring to Miami. Yeah. It takes time to build chemistry. And, you know, I say on the, this podcast all the time, we're talking about Atlanta United last season in particular, you know, consistency builds chemistry, builds confidence, gets results. And, and they just need a little bit of time to do that. Tell everybody how they can find you on social media. Well, I'm at Tony Kerki. That's T-O-N-Y and Kerki spells C-H-E-R-C-H-I. Uh, 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 pretty much in every platform, I'm, I'm uh, with that <laughs> handle. So uh, to make it easier, and uh, and of course, uh, I encourage people to watch us on MLS uh, season pass over uh, at Apple TV. I'm regularly doing the pregame and and postgame stuff in Spanish, and um, I also from time to time go to MLS 360 to give my opinion on a couple of things. So uh, yeah, uh, over there we. We're trying to give the best coverage to the league for the MLS hardcore fam and, and, and then the ones that are casual fans also. Yep. And y'all are doing a great job. Everybody just talks about how much they love the coverage and the production quality is so good and, and the analysis is so good. And you interviewed Pele for God's sake. That's just too cool. <laughs> that is too yeah, cool. <laughs> and that was like 25 years ago, but I, I still remember it very fondly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Tony. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. No, Doug, it was a pleasure for me. Uh, anytime. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for just 99 cents.
That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining. You can get all of our stories on AJC.com, access to our e-paper, and our assortment of newsletters, including Bradley's Buzz from Mark Bradley. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. And we got a couple of voicemails, uh, 770-810-5297. I've beseeched you to eliminate all other phone numbers in your cell phones and only have that one. It's 770-810-5297. It keeps Daniel out of trouble, which he gets it to all the time. He's currently in Egypt. He escaped from Interpol prison, and, and he's there now. He may be in Libya by the end of this podcast. Here's our first voicemail. Oh, hey, Doug. Hey, Doug. This is the Toronto Marriott. We're real sorry. Really, really sorry about the coffee. Also, the spoke is not a word. It's custom. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> I don't know who keeps calling in every week with, with these, but I love them. So he's referring to a tweet I sent out last week in which I asked Marriott, for those of us who eschew the housekeeping, can we please get a couple of caffeinated coffee pods in our rooms ahead of time because you typically only get one. And if I'm there for two nights, I drink two cups of coffee every morning because I'm an old man and have to get my brain going. Somehow I run out of coffee. Then I have to go downstairs and buy coffee and it's infinitely more expensive. And to me, coffee is coffee. It doesn't really matter how it tastes. It's just coffee. It's the utility of it. So anyway, that's what he's referring to. So, some of you were kind enough on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC to give me some hints about how to make that happen, and I appreciate it. Now our second voicemail. Hey, Doug. This is Eve from Atlanta. And since you run the Southern Fried Soccer podcast, I want to know what is your favorite fried food? Thanks. Hmm, that is a really good question. And I hope that I've not been mispronouncing your name when you've sent in emails I've, I've been saying ivis i think but it might be eve um, unless this is a different person my favorite fried food wow hmm. you know boneless fried chicken fingers i always enjoy there's a lot of apps fried zucchini is really good there's a taco place around the corner from me that does a, a deep fried uh, avocado sticks which are just i could eat that for the rest of my life anyway I appreciate the questions. Again, that number is 770-810-5297. That's Daniel's personal cell phone number on his sat phone. Uh, it's a hotline right to him. You can call him 24 hours a day, and he will answer. Ren says, if or likely when we lose Almada, what aspects of the team's play will likely be hurt most? All of the above. Second, which current roster players could be used to fill Tiago's role? So, this gives me an opportunity to do a little venting. So yesterday there was a report from a radio station in Naples that Napoli, a fantastic soccer club uh, in Italy's Serie A, has an interest in Almada. And the price is $20 million or something like that. Well, it took like me a half of a phone call to suss out, no, not, not, not really $20 million. And that Napoli, as Atlanta United has said many times, is one of many clubs that have an interest in Almada. So it was kind of a false flag report. And then there was another report by another well-known journalist that said Atlanta's price tag is $40 million. Again, not accurate information. Or if it was, it did not come from anyone associated with Atlanta United. 
So it really doesn't matter what this other person thinks the price is. Uh, it's just, if y'all think something doesn't make sense, it probably doesn't make sense. Napoli having an interest. Yeah, that makes sense for 20 million. No, that does not make sense. Just, you know, y'all know the team well enough to know what is real and what is not real. Now, which current roster player could be used to fill Tiago's role? That is a really, really tough one. There's no one that has the same skill set, which is why he's one of the better players in Major League Soccer, if not the best player in Major League Soccer right now. Machop Chol did a good job last week. Tyler Wolf can play in that position. Amar Sadich, I think, is more of a central midfielder than an attacking midfielder. But if you'll read a story I posted, just a well, story is a loose term for this one. It's a weekly Q&A with Garth Lagerway, Lightning Nut is president. He talks about a particular difficulty within MLS rules that the team is going to have should it sell Almada as a young DP. Um, so I would encourage you to look for that. It's called Ask Garth Lagerway What to Make of MLS uh, Roster Rules, I think is the headline. Uh, you can find it on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, but I would go and give that a read. And Ren says, thanks for all you do. And I want to say a happy belated birthday to son of Ren, who turned 10 yesterday or today. Yeah, today. So happy birthday, son of Ren. Uh, make your dad buy you all the things. Nick says, hi, Doug. My question this week is regarding Miles's contract. And this is one that we've answered, gotten, and I've answered several times on the podcast, but I'll answer it again. Do you think Garth would consider giving him a DP contract whenever Arahujo or Almada leaves? When healthy, Robinson has always been best 11 worthy in this league. Um, no, I don't think that is going to happen. I think Miles is ready for a new challenge. I could be wrong. It's hard to read Miles' language. He, his answers in the media scrums aren't always the best. He's, just, he's a guarded dude, and that's fine. But no, I, I don't see Atlanta United putting DP money toward a center back, even if he is, in my opinion, the best center back in Major League Soccer and has been for the past few years. I think that money always goes toward goals. So Henry says, of the three games coming up this week, which ones do you think we'll see Yako in? How many do you think he'll start? So I think he'll come off the bench on Sunday against Chicago. I doubt you'll see him in the starting lineup for Wednesday's U.S. Open Cup game, but I think he'll be in the reserves, and I think he'll start the next week at Nashville. Um, there's just no sense in pushing him right now, and I, I still think Atlanta United has the depth to handle Wednesday's match. I've already shared my thoughts on the Almada rumors, and now Henry is going to end us with the question of the week. Name your all-time MLS best 11. So this is always a fun exercise, and there's no wrong answers, I don't think. I'm going with a lot of guys who have longevity in Major League Soccer. It's going to be a 3-5-2 type setup, a little bit heavy on the right side. But in goal, uh, Nick Ramondo. Center backs are Eddie Pope, Michael Parkhurst, and Chad Marshall. Carlos Valderrama is going to be kind of a single pivot, playing absolutely no defense because who wants defense on this team? Then you're going to have Precky, Blanco, the Chicago Blanco, and uh, Landon Donovan. And I can give you my thoughts on Landon Donovan if you want to hear them on the next podcast. With Joseph and Carlos Vela up top. I think that's 11 players. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Yeah, that's 11 players. So that's my MLS all-time best 11. That's a great question, Henry. I appreciate it. And we are now going to wrap up this Southern Fried Soccer podcast. As always... I'm on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Please hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones. Y'all take care. This is Southern Fried Soccer.